KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with someone you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One, sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers. Get a deal you'll like on a Honda you'll love. If we kind of uh, pay attention to people's needs, show interest in what they're interested in, because you want them to be interested in what you're interested in, so it has to work both ways. Be respectful. You're probably going to be accepted and respected. So if that happened most of the time, then I was blessed and fortunate. And our guest this week, Don DeGiulia, who spent decades as the athletic director at St. Joseph's University, still does work for the school and alumni relations. And Don, thanks so much for coming in studio. This is an honor. I'm glad to be here. It's an honor for me too, Matt. You've done great work over these past few years. I appreciate that. So talk a little bit about what you're doing now. You're still very involved with St. Joe's. Yeah, now I stepped aside from athletics in 2018. And uh, the president there was reorganizing the office at the time and then wanted a position called special assistant to the president. So I jumped in there, did some things representing the office when presidents who were asked to be everywhere all the time cannot be. So just uh, represented the office. And the last year with uh, Dr. McConnell, the new president, doing more alumni advancement work, making connections with alums that maybe have been a little lapsed or disengaged, trying to get their renewed interest in the university. So attend a lot of events and see a lot of people around town. So it's good. Enjoy it a lot? Enjoy it. I do. Do you miss athletics? Yes. Yeah, they're a part of it. Certainly it's been so long, as you said, decades and decades with student athletes and coaches and staff. Of course, I yeah, miss that. There are some parts of it you don't miss, but most of all, the relationships you establish with student athletes and coaches. You had two stints as AD. I think it was 76-81 and then 88 to, to 2018. Take me back to like 76-77. What was average day if there was such a thing in athletics as athletic director? Because what I'm getting at is I want to see how much it changed by the end. When you first started, what were your main focuses kind of day to day? Clearly, things have changed much since 1976 till now. It wasn't as much seven days a week, 365, but it was pretty much, you know, student athletes during academic year compete pretty much every day of the week or practice. There's always some activity, but the intensity of it, there's so much more media mediums right now that cover things and people need to be on like all the time. And as a result of that, then there's action morning, noon, and night, most days of the week in college athletics. Did what you had to deal with change? Like, was it more, were you able to deal more early on with people and games? And I'm just imagining just from the outside by the end, was it much more kind of fundraising and logistics and just keeping the train going in the right direction? Uh, Yes, a lot did change from 1976. A lot of it was focused on the student athletes and the coaches and how to advance college athletics in your higher education environment. Not to say other things weren't important, but lately, the last, I'd say, 10, 15 years, it's been dominated by other things that I think administrators in a lot of positions now are spending more time in administrative roles and out of their day-to-day contact maybe with employees or student-athletes and coaches in our case. So it's become dominant 
in uh, administrative kinds of responsibilities uh, over time. Necessary but significant over time. So we'll get back to the job of AD, but now let's dig into your backstory. As a kid, were you playing everything that was going on in the neighborhood sports-wise, or did you have early focuses? Baseball, baseball, and baseball. Grew up in uh, West Philadelphia and Southwest Philadelphia. And then it wasn't until eighth and ninth grade that I discovered the sport of basketball and then played in high school and then uh, ended up in college. But it was baseball growing up in the neighborhood. What did you love about baseball? I think just being outside, I think the teamwork, the challenge of trying to hit something that somebody threw, sometimes faster than others, and uh, just the, the challenge of that. What position? Played first base as a young young guy, and later then played baseball at St. Joe's and played the outfield. Do you remember when you started to think you were pretty good? Uh, no, I'd say, do I remember when I'd be comfortable and thinking you can compete on an even scale with the people that you're with. I'd say yes. It probably was by the time I was a junior or senior in high school. As a young guy, now I think you went out every day thinking, I hope I do well today, and they keep me on the team. That's what I recall. But by high school, became comfortable with ability to compete and stay even. When you start looking at colleges, was it always St. Joe's? Did you have an affinity for St. Joe's growing up? Like, was that always the goal, or was that the place you ended up? I ended up there and became close to St. Joe late in school. I grew up being a Temple basketball fan. In the 50s, right after the Big Five formed, they had a left-handed guard named Guy Rogers, who was an All-American. I was a left-handed guard in high school at the time. So, yes, I wore number five like he did. And uh, so I rooted for Temple. Then when he graduated, high school teammate of mine, Tom Wynn, went from St. James and Chester to St. Joe's. So start to follow Tom and then later followed Tom to St. Joe's. So it was late in my career that I became a Hawk fan. And uh, Jack Ramsey was coach at the time of St. Joe's. And he once coached at our high school, St. James and Chester. So there was that link also, as well as Jack McKinney, who succeeded Ramsey as coach at St. Joe's, also played basketball at St. James and was a coach at St. James also. So over a five, eight-year period, there was this St. James-Chester-Hawk Hill connection, strangely. When you start playing, both you played baseball and basketball at St. Joe's. Well, before we start, how difficult was playing two sports? I mean, it's a completely different animal than it is now. Correct. But how difficult was it or was it not difficult? You didn't really think of it as a as difficult. It was just fun and it was what you did. Uh, you didn't think of it as difficult. It was more fun because each sport wasn't as seven-day-a-week committed then as it was now. Uh, yes, uh, you need to talk to both coaches to say, can I juggle both? Fine, they give permission, but today that's unheard of, uh, unheard of today because there's so much emphasis on working out and perfecting your sport all the time year-round, getting close to your teammates, so it's hardly done anymore. You mentioned Jack Ramsey, a legend. What was it like to play for him? What, in your opinion, made him special. Yes, I'd say he was a a teacher and a coach and a communicator at heart. And he was really focused on each individual player 
and wanted everyone to improve their skills and do well. Certainly was big on teamwork. But I think the ability to communicate with each person on a different level to help you understand how you can improve and help the team. And I thought they were a strength. When it came to your playing career, what are some of your favorite memories from either sport? Well, on the basketball side, I wasn't a starter uh, and a regular player, but happened to be on the team that was 26-1 and regular season that had Matt Gukas and Cliff Anderson. Maybe some of the old-timers listening will remember Clifford and Matty as well as some of the other stars. So it was a pretty uh, remarkable team of all underclassmen at the time who went 26-1 uh, and one and then uh, lost in the NCAA tournament. And then the next year they started being ranked number one preseason and didn't finish as well, but still was like 26-3 and three or something. Anyway, favorite memories were competing against teams that people thought you shouldn't be able to compete and win against playing top right teams at this little school from Philadelphia is not supposed to compete and succeed at this high level. Now this is in 1965. So it wasn't too long after 1961 St. Joe went to the final four yet even five years later, it was still the little school and could they sustain this? Talk to me a little bit about, there's so much talk about the big five now and what's its future. And they had a great event at the Wells Fargo Center this year. I think a lot of people missed the days of what the Big Five was in the 60s and 70s. As someone who was waist-deep in it as a player, what was it like? Like, what was game day like? What was it like when you were going to play LaSalle and the whole city was on fire waiting for this? It was almost like everyone gets behind the Eagles or Phillies today. It was a, the Big Five basketball when it was founded in 55 and through the 60s and 70s, you said really, at that time, was a fabric of the city of Philadelphia. Professional sports were not like it is today. The media coverage of all the sports was not like it was today. And college basketball was a favorite in the city of Philadelphia. So it's a favorite, but it's not like top one, two, or three. And uh, then it was a fabric. So everywhere you went, it was What's next? Who do you play tonight? Good win yesterday, bad loss yesterday. It was conversation all the time because it was that dominant in everyone's life in the city. It's not quite that today. Not saying that's bad, but it's just different. But the fact remains that everyone has agreed, now this year is a unique format, that over a 55, 65-year period that each of these local schools agree to keep playing each other. So it's important change a couple of times. One, when conferences and NCAA at large bids became so important, then the big five emphasis was a little less. More emphasis was placed on the conference games. But at the same time, it's still uh, local rivalries. There's really nothing like it. And not too many cities and schools have what we have in Philadelphia. And the event this year that culminated at the Wells Fargo Center was uh, really Remarkable how well the day turned out. Three games in one day, they were all pretty competitive, and it was special. No, absolutely. And I and I think, I don't know that there's another city in America that has not just the big five in that all these teams that are so familiar with each other. I don't think there's another basketball community in the country like the Philadelphia basketball community where 
when you really dig into it, all the threads of people that are connected and the, the way everybody helps each other and knows what's going on with everybody. And I just don't mean the city schools. I mean all the D3s, the high schools, women's basketball on all the levels. Like, it is really unique and special. It is. There's no question about it. In fact, uh, Mike Jensen, whom we all know, just retired from the Inquirer, is writing a book Mm -hmm. about the history of Philadelphia basketball. And it is unique. Over the decades, when we from Philadelphia would interact either coaching or at administrative meetings or conference meetings with other coaches and ADs around the country, they'd say, what's this Philly thing? That's what they refer to it. They know how close and bonded everyone was in the city, in all levels, in all the sports. And it uh, it does have a special feel about it, and people outside recognize that. Now, am I correct? During your college career, you you spent three years seminary? I did. Yeah, I was at St. Joe's and left, and uh, it was three years at the start as a freshman at St. Joe, then went to three years at St. Charles Seminary when I came back. Is then when I joined, rejoined uh, Jack Ramsey, McKinney, and uh, Cliff Anderson, and Matt Gukas, Billy Oaks, to uh, play on the basketball team, and with Harry and for Harry Booth, former head coach, on the baseball team. So, what were those three years like, and what were you thinking? What did you think the future held for you during those years? Like, what was what was your career goal at that point? Well, the career goal was to be ordained a Catholic priest. I think I was teased with a vocation through high school. Decided to put it aside, start in college, and it kept coming back. So I thought, well, let me follow that and see if that's the answer. So I had three terrific years with a great bunch of folks. Some of it still get together today. Uh, some are ordained, some are not. But uh, thought that that was my calling. And then after three years into my fourth year, son of felt and believed that really wasn't the calling and went back to college. How do you feel that experience in seminary shaped your career in athletics going forward? Do you feel like it gave you any kind of a unique perspective or a unique lens to look at things? I'm sure it did. That's a good question. Not too many times have I thought about what was connected, but I think the pace and tempo of a seminary life was not as crazed as the athletic life. At the same time, at the same time, we were used to kind of getting up early, getting up early, pacing yourself, and certainly athletics is an early day uh, adventure. Uh, so I'd say that, and I'd say being kind of organized, focused, and being sure that you learn from one another. We were a close bond of uh, students when we were there, and I think certainly the teamwork as essential in any sport, and I think that carried over for sure also. And just respect and taking people where they are. Everyone was different. It came from different backgrounds to pursue a vocation in that claim, and people are different when they come to college to pursue a sport, so accepting everybody where they are. Deciding to not go down that path after three years, difficult decision, and how did it, how did it land with everyone in your life then? It was difficult. You know, you think as a young person, like, what are people going to think? Certainly my parents were a little disappointed. It took, they thought, oh, wow, I'm going to have a son, uh, a Catholic priest. So they were a little disappointed. Certainly they never uh, shared or showed any degree of being upset with me for the decision. They got behind, said, okay, now gather yourself, kind of what's next. 
But I think a lot of people probably had different reactions, say, oh, and just shrugged it off. No big deal. So I think that is very unique to have like one year of college, three years seminary, and then you go back to college. How do you feel that it helped you? I mean, obviously you become more mature, not because you're older and also because of that experience, but how much do you feel like it helped you those final three years having that experience kind of in your toolbox? Oh, I think it definitely did help. Uh, perceived and at times being, you know, kidded by friends of being the old guy now in the neighborhood. But also I think the perspective and the natural maturity when go one goes through the 19, 20, 21-year-old status of uh, having a perspective and then taking the perspective that I had and bringing it into the college space and in the athletic space kind of I, I think helped. And it was a, it was an adjustment, but it worked. It was accepted and uh, well received by everyone. I knew a lot of the people at St. Joe because I may have started with some may have still been around. So that was a help also. From an athletic standpoint, purely a talent skill standpoint, do you feel like you lost anything during those three years? Like, were you? I mean, it almost sounds silly. You're still 22. You're still playing college sports, but did you feel like you you weren't quite the same? Uh, yes. Yeah, I did not comfortable talking about my own self in this regard, but I hear your question. There's no question. I was not the same competitor, still wanted to win and compete and be a great teammate, but skill-wise, having not competed for three into four years in basketball and baseball in any way other than recreationally, certainly did lose a lot, but I still enjoyed it and was glad to be part of the teams nonetheless. When did you figure that athletics was going to be a part of your life in the big picture? You started out coaching and then administration. Did you figure during those last three years at St. Joe's that you wanted to get into coaching? Or was it you graduated and you needed the next step? Like what what kind of opens the door from college to becoming a coach? Well, during college and during college, I did want to. My goal was to be a high school teacher and a coach. And I'm sure that was because of people that mentored me as they did at St. Joe's and want to follow in their footsteps. So I was able to do that. was uh, right out of high school, applied to different districts, was hired by the archdiocese, was assigned to St. James in Chester, my own school. So I think I, quote, died and went to heaven and was there and things were fine. You know, you're an assistant football coach, you teach history and religion, you're an assistant basketball coach, you're an assistant track coach, recently married, had a job in rec department during the summer. Everything was working out perfectly in my mind and at that time. College was not on the radar, high school teacher and a coach. Then one summer, after two years, I get a call from a former teammate at St. Joe's, Jim Lynham, who became big name in Philadelphia sports, certainly. He called and said, I was just received the appointment as the head men's basketball coach at Fairfield University in Connecticut and want to know if you'd like to uh, be my assistant coach. And I said, oh, that sounds cool. Where's Fairfield? And uh, I say now, being young and somewhat naive, I said, yes, right away. It sounds exciting now to be a college basketball coach and then have never left a college campus since. And it was not part of the game plan. It just happened, just the timing of it. And uh, grateful for Jim for asking. And when I stepped aside in 2018 and was going to retire from athletics at the end of 50 years, 
I called Jim and said, you were the one that called me and said, let's give it a try. He said, oh, if I think of anything we can do for another 50 years, I'll call you again. So I was eight years coaching basketball, assistant coach at Fairfield GW and American. And I ended up at American. I was at GW and like Washington, D.C. and GW as a university was going to phase out. Travel became too demanding. Our family started to grow. And Jim Lynham called again and said, by the way, I'm going to be appointed head coach at American University tomorrow. Do you want to be my assistant? And I said, no, 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 three times. And then finally said, okay, I'll give you a couple of years. And it was after those years, American being in the same conference as St. Joe at the time, uh, kept in touch with a lot of people at St. Joe's. They were looking for an athletics director to finally separate the positions of head coach and athletic director. Jack McKinney was the last of both. So I went to St. Joe's in 1976 uh, without much administrative experience, so kind of learned at the time, and things were changing at St. Joe's and in higher education in a lot of ways. At St. Joe in particular, we just went co-ed. And the beginning of the starting of women's sports made it exciting. What was your favorite part of those years as an assistant college coach? What did you love and what could you have done without? I'd say the demand of travel. In those days, the NCAA didn't have a rule that there was a restriction on recruiting. Now there is. It was insane then, and it's insane squared now. But you could recruit 365 days a year, and some people tried to do it. So I'd say that was the... uh, the one thing that uh, spent a lot of time with and then enjoy, though, making contacts in the high school community to introduce Fairfield or GW or American to uh, aspiring athletes and families. And that was enjoyable to do, making those kind of relationships. The hard part about was just the rigor and the demand of uh, traveling all the time and then in season with the travel and the team. At any point during that stretch, are you thinking head coach? Like, did you? No. You didn't, it didn't interest you? No. I was thinking I could best serve as a, an assistant to support staff to someone. Yeah, I wasn't thinking, in fact, was asked that by the head coach at the second square for six years. Head coach said, Are you going to look into job A, B, and C that become open? I said, No, not really. I like it here and end up continuing with an assistant coach with uh, Jim Lynham again at American. But wasn't thinking head coach, and I'm not – my only look back now is saying maybe I'm just a supplemental role player, you know, and uh, like that like that part of it, to support everyone else. We need to take a break on one-on-one. We will continue our conversation with Don DeGiulia in just a moment. But first, there's nothing quite like the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid when it comes to exhilarating efficiency. With hybrid technology and thrilling capability, these vehicles deliver an electrifying performance on every drive. This new year, discover for yourself what truly makes these hybrids special. Redefine your driving experience with Honda. KBB.com's best value brand of 2023. Contact your local Honda dealer today about the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid. And now let's return to our conversation on one on one with Don DeGiulia, the former athletic director at St. Joseph's University. You take over athletic director St. Joe's in 76. Give us some context. You talk about the going co ed and there's a lot of changes. Ballpark size of the school when you arrived as an undergrad in 60. How had it grown to 76? 
while relatively significantly because it was so small when we went there in 1960 as students. There were two buildings, the Barbellin Building, the tower building that everyone sees on Route 1, City Avenue, and, quote, the field house. That was it. That was it. And by 1976, there were a couple other academic buildings, a library, a student center, so it had grown significantly. But enrollment was still small. We were about 1,400, 1,600 when I was a student, and maybe now I'm going co-ed. It had a chance to be up over 2,000, but still relatively small. But we had more real estate and more buildings on campus to make it comfortable. We were still short of athletic space at the time, just had one field, so that made it challenging and slow for some sports to be added because of not having enough space on campus to compete and to play. Did you know what you didn't know when you started as athletic director? No. You, you talked about not having Absolutely experience. Absolutely <laughs> no. No, learn, learn on the fly. And I think the big five ADs and the athletic directors in the East Coast Conference at the time, who was led by the senior member, Ernie Casal, longtime athletics director at Temple, And they were uh, wonderful advisors. And, yes, they called me kid. I was in my young 30s at the time with no administrative background, and they helped immensely to uh, help me along the way understand what I didn't know. And it was more than you think at the time. What's the first time do you remember being overwhelmed in the job? Like the first time something came across your plate that you were just like, where do I start? I think probably was so new and so young and so energetic. I didn't know that I was overwhelmed. You just deal with it. This is normal. Oh, oh, okay. This is normal. I'll, I'll do it. So I didn't feel like maybe when projects start to get at it, let's build a new recreation center. So you're doing your thing, whatever the thing is, normal administrative work, fundraising, managing teams and programs, and all of a sudden, here's something new. So when you add then, okay, head up this capital campaign, head up working with architects to design a facility, then that is probably when you feel a little bit like, "Uh uh-oh, how's this going to fit in? What was the first big moment of satisfaction you had as athletic director? The first thing where you really felt like you were proud of it and you put your stamp on your alma mater. Well, I don't know about me putting my stamp on it, but... First thing that just popped out in mind as you asked that question was a young women's basketball team, maybe in our fourth or fifth year, making the national tournament. And in those days, it was governed by the Association Intercollegiate Athletics for Women, AIW. NCA didn't start to govern women's sports till early 80s. Anyway, so St. Joe... It was after the Immaculata run that brought up a lot of national attention to Philadelphia. We were fortunate enough to have good players out of the local schools. It was even before we were provided full scholarships to everyone. We had young coaches from Immaculata College coach here because there weren't anybody else with experience. And we made the national tournament, which was the top 16. And have our school be selected and go to Minneapolis, Minnesota, University of Minnesota, to compete for the national tournament as one of 16 teams was the first thing that jumps to mind is saying, wow, this is really special. I know the men's basketball in the early 80s had some incredible moments. The win against DePaul uh, when I think DePaul was number one. Correct. Yeah. How much did you just enjoy watching the teams? And a lot of the focus is obviously on 
basketball, you know, at St. Joe's, but all the sports and how much of an appreciation did you grow for sports that maybe you weren't too familiar with or were kind of agnostic about prior to getting this job? Well, I think I did. Uh, it's easy to be joyful when people win all the time. But I think the biggest joy and satisfaction always had in all the years in college administration and coaching was to watch student-athletes succeed. And they become joyful because all the sacrifice and hard work they put in to preparing to get out to that moment. And that doesn't happen every day. There are special moments in student-athletes' lives. I think the joy was watching them succeed and the look in their eye when they experience that moment given everything they put into it. So you were at... This first run at St. Joe's, 76 to 81. Then you take over commissioner of the East Coast Conference. Was that something that fell in your lap? Were you looking for a different challenge at that point? How does that come together? I was. After five years of St. Joe, we just finished the, the preparation to add a rec center. And um, the uh, position of the commissioner became available. And so it was a teaser. I like working with other people. So it was... I was ready to do it, so absolutely did enjoy that work with the East Coast Conference. And that was the first time working with athletic directors on on the peer level and also college presidents. And it was that time in the early 80s when the NCA started something called the NCA President's Commission, where they wanted to designate presidents from different conferences to form a national commission to bring more attention and emphasis on a college campus so that was the early years of the East Coast Conference, and then was there three years, and then went to the Metro Atlanta Conference, and that emphasis continued. So that was uh, enjoyable also, working with the ADs and presidents for a common goal to make each better as a result of competing in the conference. Was the jump from coaching to administration, which was gigantic, Did it feel as gigantic going from AD of an individual institution to head of a conference? You know, was it as overwhelming or did the administrative experience, just having that administrative experience, did you have more in your bag that you you were able to get your arms around it quicker? I think that's a good way to put it. I think as a result of being administrator for five years, a little more comfortable. I was dealing with peers that I work with anyway, initially, fellow ADs in the league. So that was comfortable, was well accepted. So it wasn't as overwhelming. I guess the biggest thing didn't know was how much then representing the conference when you go to national meetings, how big a deal it was then for 20 conference commissioners to get together of all varieties and all sizes and shapes from the Big Ten to the East Coast Conference, totally different in scope. And then understanding how they looked at some of the national issues were completely different than the way we look at some of the national issues. So that was a learning experience. When you're leading a conference, do you feel like at times you were trying to herd a group of cats? Everyone's kind of got their own agenda. They've got their own direction. They're interested in different things. Or, for the most part, is everybody pulling in the same direction and it's just your job to kind of funnel that work and that attention and everything to what's important? I think for the most part, people are generally receptive and understand what it means part of the conference. It gets down to a simple question in dealing with issues. What's best for the conference? 
not what's best for St. Joe's. That's hard sometimes to say, well, it's better for St. Joe's if I vote this way. And yet you look at it and say, well, for the good of the conference, which long range is going to help St. Joe's, that sometimes you have to flip and decide. But I think the uh, that was the biggest uh, part of it, to get everyone into the mindset of let's first say what's best for the conference. And everyone sometimes has to give a little bit. So when you come back to St. Joe's, was it you wanted to come back home, quote unquote? Like, were you kind of done with the whole conference thing and having your hand in eight, twelve, fifteen, whatever it was, different programs? And was it just the right the right time to to come back to that job? It was a timing on a couple of reasons. I had finished then seven years commissioner. Was living in Connecticut. Our children were getting older. Our own parents were getting older and said, at some time in the next few years, we should go back to Philadelphia. And then St. Joseph's position became open after they had just recently changed presidents. So they were looking for a change. And um, this person had a real value in uh, athletics and what it could mean to an institution. So I uh, was called by a staff member to see if I'd be interested and was, and it all worked out that I came back in 1988 for the second time and work with uh, Father Nick Rashford, who was the president, and Dan Hilferty, who's a familiar name in Philadelphia, who was the associate vice president, I think, for community relations. He had a pretty big role at St. Joe's and obviously has a big role today. How different, we talked about how the school had changed from 1960 to when you take over as AD in 76. During those years, you were conference commissioner and you're away for seven years living in Connecticut. When you come back, is it a palpable difference in what St. Joe's is like from when you left the first time as AD to when you came back? It was different again, not significantly. Our real estate expanded some. Our buildings expanded some. Academic offerings were big. The biggest difference was this president had a grand vision over a 10, 20-year period to grow the campus more, grow enrollment, grow academic programs. So that part of it was exciting. And to say, okay, how can sports fit into that vision and growth mindset? And we're able to make that compatible with academic and sport growth uh, over time. So the little uh, student body of uh, 2400 1990 then started to go towards 3000 and I like to say we forgot to stop counting and then it went to 33 34 and 38 and uh, by the early 2000s so the university became hot and uh, added enough new programs to maximize it and then when we had a new president in 2003 he said we'll never go over 4000 so that didn't last too long either because the university became hot again. And maybe part of being hot that second time was triggered by a little guy from Chester named Jameer Nelson, who added some extra national attention on the university. A little bit, a little bit. When you come back in 88, was the thought process, and you talked about your kids are getting older, your, your parents getting older, coming back home to Philly, was there kind of a, this is where... If they'll have me, I'm putting the shingle out, and this is where we're going to be for the duration. Was that part of the process? You'd hope it would be, yes. You thought, okay, here, back to Philadelphia. We're still not, I guess, experience-wise thinking, well, you could guarantee that. But being back home and thought even if it didn't work out at St. Joe, you could find something else locally you know, to stay. So I think, yes, back home. 
How much did you enjoy the process of finding new coaches? Was it something you enjoyed? Was it just something that was part of the job? And kind of take us through what your process was. What were you looking for, and did it change sport to sport, or did you kind of have a baseline set of boxes that you needed checked before that candidate would be considered? Uh, Yes, did enjoy it. And one of the first fundamental things I learned, didn't know when I first started with and learned from the other ADs, that one day a lot of your coaches, particularly in prime high-interest sports, are going to leave. So you better start developing an index card with backup names. So anytime you come across somebody you think would make sense to work at your school, just make a note of it somewhere because you never know if they may factor in later. So I did enjoy that, and meeting new people and then think about would they be a good fit for St. Joe's. And I think, yes, the boxes basically are all the same to me anyway, irregardless of the sport. Do they want to be here? They have a character. Do they believe in the mission of the university? They believe they can play a role in advancing all efforts at the university, including sport, uh, be a good team player within the department, care about the student-athletes. So there were some regular bullets that needed to be fundamental. Was it harder? You talked about it regardless of the sport, but I'm sure there were some sports that you were less familiar with than others. Oh, for sure. Does that make it harder to hire someone because maybe you're not familiar with the, the nuts and bolts of what makes a successful leader in this sport? Did, did that make it harder to hit the mark when you're hiring? It does. It, it does make it harder. And I think uh, part of what drove me was to find out what I didn't know. So if we needed a, a, a tennis coach or a field hockey coach or a soccer coach, and I maybe had one name or no names on my index card, I would go to the area colleges and successful programs say, who's the next best champion on your staff or in the area? So I would seek advice from other people on who do you think would be a great fit for me to speak with at St. Joe's. So uh, I learned that way to depend on people, and people were pretty cooperative in recommending, like, who the next stars are coming up. Even current head coaches were very frank in uh, saying their assistants are ready or not when you needed help. I'm curious with a school the size of St. Joe's, was it hard to discern people that wanted to be at St. Joe's and hope to be there for a long time? versus people that were going to use it as a stepping stone to a bigger job. And did you care? If you found somebody that checked the boxes, but your gut told you, probably only going to be here for a few years if things work out and they're they're looking to go, would you defer a little bit to someone that you felt like really this was kind of what they were looking for for a, a, a long stop. Did that figure into your decision-making at all? And if so, how did you deal with it? A little bit, and it varied kind of by sport and by individual. What you needed to be sure was if you knew somebody was loved St. Joe's and loved Philadelphia and they're ready to dive in with both feet as opposed to someone you're interviewing from Columbus, Ohio, never from the East or Philadelphia – who seemed to fit some of the boxes, very interested, but might be an easy pull back to the Midwest at some point, you first had to decide, are you sure the one locally that you're thinking of that has this belief in St. Joe 
is capable, and there's no big gap between the two. So if it's fairly close, then would lean towards someone who you judge to be more committed to the university than someone you would judge that maybe would jump at the first chance to go elsewhere, as long as both were pretty good. How long would you say it took you to really find your pace as an athletic director where you were pretty comfortable that everything that came your way you were going to be able to deal with? Like, was it into your second term, or do you think it came during the first term? No, I would say definitely into the second term because so many things changed. Each decade, uh, when you said was in college athletics, that covered six different decades, and each decade was different. So in the 70s, when, yes, co-ed changed St. Joe's, the NCA changed when they first established Division One, Two, II, and Three. So people were just starting to get used to that, have leagues. We used to be in a league with Albright and Muhlenberg. No offense attended, of course, but it changed. People then had to pick their own league. And then the 80s, we had the uh, Georgia-Oklahoma lawsuit that took NCA control over football away from the NCA, and that opened up then the football schools to go out on their own, start to form conferences. So my point is that each decade, something else that significant that could impact you would be happening at the national level that it took a long time to get comfortable and say, geez, oh, I've been there, done that. It seemed like it was only at the back end that you'd say, I've been there, done that, because so many significant changes happen each decade. We need to take another break on one-on-one more with Don DeGiulia in just a moment. But first, want to remind you that there's nothing quite like the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid when it comes to exhilarating efficiency. With hybrid technology and thrilling capability, these vehicles deliver an electrifying performance on every drive. This new year, discover for yourself what truly makes these hybrids special. Redefine your driving experience with Honda, KBB.com's best value brand of 2023. Contact your local Honda. Honda dealer today about the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid. And now let's return to our conversation on one on one with former St. Joseph's University athletic director Don DeGiulia. What was your least favorite part of being an athletic director? Meeting with a student athlete or a coach and say, I don't think you can continue to be part of our team. That, that was the hardest part. Now, that's not the majority of the work, fortunately, that most times situations work. But that was uh, having internal issues with student athletes or coaches was not something you look forward to. It's necessary, had to be addressed, and things do happen, as we call them X factors. They regularly happen and just have to be sure that you have enough support staff and people that are going to be behind you and believe that we have to do the right thing and this wasn't the right thing, so I'm sorry. We have to part ways. That was always hard. What was your favorite part? Watching coaches and student-athletes succeed and be satisfied with, uh, after all the sacrifice and uh, job they put in uh, on an individual basis, on a daily ground level. And then on the bigger picture side, when something happened that athletics was part of maybe a university effort to have something significant happen, like a new facility that, yes, was going to benefit, but it took a lot of partners on campus to get behind it and believe it to help make it happen. 
and vice versa, if there was another factor on campus that needed to achieve something and athletics could support their effort to be part of those team interactions on a campus to advance the uh, what's best for the university was most satisfying. You mentioned Jameer Nelson earlier, and that 2003-2004 St. Joe's season was magical. We could come up with dozens of adjectives to describe it. From your standpoint, leading the athletic program, when did it become a unicorn? When when did it become something more than just, hey, the basketball team's really good? Do you remember the moment when it was different? Absolutely. Strangely, I do. If you ask me five other questions about remembering a magic moment, I don't. But I'm going to say January 17th. The team just won a road game at Xavier, who was a very good team, a very close game. We returned home, and the Philadelphia Eagles lost in the playoffs. St. Joe was undefeated, but the Eagles were still in the playoffs. We had not knocked off any significant teams, so we're not creating a lot of attention. Maybe we were ranked number 18, but not number 4. When the Eagles lost, and we returned home after a big win, it felt like on that Monday, on that Monday, Philadelphia and the nation said, whoa, there's a team in Philly that's undefeated. Maybe we ought to pay attention to it. That's when it happened, in my mind, when things started to escalate and the players and the coaches and the staff needed to manage then more than the local attention, which was hard for everyone to get used to. How did it change your life? That made it. Seven day, twenty four seven, almost literally seven day, twenty four seven. It uh, sort of the demands. You wanted to be sure that the student athletes and the coaches were able to handle all the requests, and then uh, it was properly in all the right tone, and the students weren't being badgered. Like I remember one day, a pickup truck drove on the campus in front of the field house. And after the team left practice that day, the pickup truck was filled with about 30 basketballs. And the people in the pickup truck wanted all the players to stop and sign their balls so they could drive back home and distribute it to the neighborhood. So a lot of zany things that happened that needed to be managed. So the coach at the time, Phil Martelli, did a good job in managing the team time demands, always set aside time. And I recall it was Monday evening after practice, the team would eat together and they would sign any memorabilia that people took the time to send to St. Joe's. They would do that every week to commit to uh, be uh, a lot of people being part of the joy and the satisfaction that they were experiencing. You talk about January 17th when it all changed. And it seemed to me on the outside, that almost grew by like a factor of three every week. Every couple wins, every moving up in the polls, more and more attention. Did it feel like that from your office? It did. It's certainly a demand to see the team. So ticket sales, either for the Pelester and the Fieldhouse, then became very demanding. So we saw that. That changed it. Certainly, the media attention, and also then as we got to February 1st and the football, NFL football season was ending and the Super Bowl was ending, then even more attention was going to come as a result of they were now down to about three undefeated teams in the country. Two of the teams were the, the ones that are supposed to be undefeated 
what is this? This team is still there. And that's when Sports Illustrated became involved and eventually had Jameer on the cover maybe in the third week of February. So they spent a couple weeks on the campus and trying to decide, was it going to be Jameer or the Super Bowl MVP? So that's how big a deal it was at the time. So it, it did grow every week. And then uh, certainly the last couple of games in February and early March before the tournament would start, then trying to finish the season and remain undefeated. And I, I forget the date. Stanford was the last other team that was undefeated. And they lost, had to be late February. And all of a sudden, we were the only one and then vaulted to number one in the country. So that was special for everybody involved in the program. Were you able to enjoy the success? And what I mean by that is you were obviously so busy on so many fronts. Were you able to take in and savor the success? Or is it hard to get caught up with it because there's just so many things you have to do? Well, there are a lot of things have to do, as you just said. But at the same time, all of the activity was positive. You weren't dealing with negative drudgery stuff. So it was positive. We were meeting a lot of new people. A lot of people were excited in the team. So it was mostly easy to deal with. Uh, and it was just the time to fit everything in because the nature of the story was positive. So that team gets to the NCAA tournament. One of the I had Dwayne Jones on, who was on that team a few months ago. And I still, one of the things that's burned into my mind is I was covering the selection show at Hagen Arena. And St. Joe's number one in the East. I felt like Billy Packer almost couldn't wait. He was climbing over people to get onto a microphone to complain that you guys shouldn't have been a number one seed. What did you think of that? I just thought if you have that, I don't, the opinion doesn't bother me. It was, this was an incredible once in a lifetime moment. Couldn't wait 10 minutes to really dump on it. I just thought it was, I, I, it real, it to this day, it bothers me. Just as someone who enjoys watching success and there was so much joy, and that became the talking point of that day. I, I agree with you. I've known Billy Packer a long time, respect all the works that he'd done. But I think at that time, even though he obviously disagreed, could have at least said, Wow, how about this magic moment? And then 10 minutes later, as you say, say, well, I really would have had so-and-so number one and St. Joe number two. You're welcome to that opinion. But I think it was so unique and special for a school like St. Joe's to be number one. It hadn't happened since, and it doesn't happen too often. So I think he could have handled it better. Get to the NCAA tournament, losing the Elite Eight to Oklahoma State in a tremendous game. John Lucas hits the jumper, and then Jameer misses a shot at the other end. The thing, it's about all sports, but specifically the NCAA tournament is just the finality. It just hits you over the head like a bat. Like, it's all excitement, and this is an incredible journey, and then just like that, it's over. Do you remember those moments when it was over, and what was it like for you? Uh, Yes, you do remember when it was over, because when the NCAA tournament begins, then there are administrative meetings kind of along the way all the time to get all the schools ready for the next step. You know, if you win, then you need to get ready for X. Well, going into this Elite Eight game, we spent all day the day before. uh, The game was on a Saturday, all day Friday, talking about the winner of the game. Now it's going to the Final Four. And this is what you need to be ready to deal with. And this is what's in place for you to deal with 
kind of right away. So we had a few people obviously with us. The NCAA Final Four had grown so much over the years, totally different in scope. It was now more a major event than a sporting activity. So preparing for that, and then the day of the game, I just felt confident that this was almost like meant to be and that we have to get our things in place and it's going to be a real challenge to pull off, but it's going to be great. So then the, the finality, the end, is like, whoa. Now, I think it probably it really didn't sink in for a couple of days because then it ended for the players too. They had to go before the media after being totally disappointed and then deal with that. And they were first class. I think it was Jameer, Delante, and uh, Pat Carroll represented the team and handled it you know, extremely well. The coach had to do the same thing. And then the next day or two, uh, get back home and meet all your family and friends. So it was a big adjustment for kind of all of them. And then it was uh, great telling stories later about how the planning was built up in the Final Four and our 3,500 tickets and our 2,000 hotel rooms and, you know, uh, 1,000 uh, plane reservations that were already tentatively on hold. And then all of a sudden, you didn't have to deal with it. So uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty disappointing, mostly for them. Now, when that ended, you didn't have much time to think about it either because Phil... And some of the players now were on the circuit to be honored and recognized regionally and nationally. I think at the time, someone did state that at that point in 2004, it may still be today. I don't know this. There were so many national awards at the time. And because he was a guard, there were three or four other special awards for guards. He may have been the most decorated college player ever because he received the highest level awards as well as a lot of second level awards. Anyway, so uh, Phil and Jameer, national demand. There was a lot of travel that had to be juggled again. So really, people didn't have enough time to uh, dwell on it. You were still, especially those folks, trying to meet all the uh, requests that had to be done uh, with all the accolades they were receiving. So it continued up at least until after the final four. Yes. As an athletic director, when you have something like that, a success like that, does it become hard to not judge everything using that as the, well, look what basketball did. We should be able to do that. When in reality, it was an extraordinary confluence of events and careers that came to, no, I'm not saying luck, but just this once a generation thing that came together. I would imagine in some, it would be seductive to use that as, well, that's the standard now for St. Joe's athletics. It's not fair. I don't think because it just was this once in a lifetime thing. But was that something you had to battle with at all in in your mindset, or I mean, were you able to look at it with kind of that clear eyes at the time? Uh, well, I don't know about at the time, but certainly afterwards, as things went on, you had to get ready then for all that's next. Yeah, a lot of people had different expectations, different standards, saying, "Wow." We could regularly do this. Wow, we need a bigger arena because we can't fit them in the field house. There are a whole nother set of things that this helped create. But I think uh, in reality, had being around for so long and knowing the history of college basketball, A, no one's been undefeated in a long time. Even the top teams, Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas, UCLA, don't do it back-to-back-to-back to back to back anymore like used to be years ago. 
So it's really that hard to try to temper and have people understand how hard it is to do. That some of these two-point wins could easily be a two-point loss and try to temper it. So sometimes it became awkward to try to balance uh, expectations, but it didn't want that kind of pressure on the next team to say, well, you're not going to be successful unless you do X. Farthest thing from the truth. How different was your job not having football? If St. Joseph's University had football, I guess I should phrase the question, how different would the job have been? It would have been significantly different. One, maybe people would have thought that it more made sense because of what football brings to the department. If you have football, typically your infrastructure and support levels in the department were going to be bigger and wider. So maybe it had more help when you had this basketball thing. So uh, as you said, so not having football and then I think the challenge to keep up with all the Power Five football people and how they dealt with the same thing now was really a challenge. As some people certainly were stretched beyond, and we needed a lot of help across campus. A lot of people volunteered to step in and help out along the way. So that was a challenge in keeping up with everybody else given our infrastructure. Do you think you would have enjoyed the job as much with football just because it is such a it is such an overwhelming presence in just about any athletic department, specifically at the Division One level. Do you, how much more challenging do you think the job would have been? Oh, it definitely would have been more challenging, and I've rarely thought about looking back. There's on one day I say I wish I was at a Division One football institution just to see it, feel it, and appreciate it. I think I appreciate what it does, and as some days it's saying, well. Maybe you couldn't have been yourself and shown as much interest across the board in other activities within the department, other sports, or across campus because the demands of football are just beyond what it is in basketball just because the numbers are different. It's totally different. So I think more comfortable in the experience that I had of not being at a Division One football institution. What do you think – make St. Joe's special in general? In general, I'd say there are two ways to answer it. One is when the president asked me that at one point, a new president, I said, it's hard to define. It must be in the water and the air. All right, now you have to sear it. I think that it's our mission in trying to create simply, and it's not simple, an environment and culture for students to learn and grow. And having the people that work at the university kind of surround that mission and kind of work at it on a regular basis. Now, our mission statement reads a little longer than me just saying that. But in essence, that's kind of what it is, Uh, the environment and culture to help people learn and grow, be respectful, respect people, and just maximize whatever potential you have. And I think being small enough, maybe it's easier to know so many people who are complying with the mission. Maybe if it was the size of Penn State, no offense, of course, 50,000 people and 10,000 employees, I wouldn't know that. But a place like St. Joe is small enough to know and feel everyone behind the central mission of the university and trying to do everything in a Jesuit for the greater glory of God reason. No football, but we talked about, and we had a big segment of this conversation about basketball. How much of a challenge in your job was it making sure 
every voice got heard. Like, you know, that, I mean, like I said, 2003-4 season for the men was once in a lifetime. But, you know, how important was it to you? And how did you make sure that golf, tennis, all the other sports that maybe aren't on the, the tier as far as attention, but make sure they didn't get swallowed up just because basketball was having a good year? Yeah, it was a challenge, but it was a concern and a priority. We wanted certainly the students in those sports to feel like it was important from their coach to have that environment and a culture to succeed. So therefore, the coaches had to feel it. So we had to pay attention then to the coaches and what their needs and demands were so that they could pass it on. So it was a challenge, but it was important that the uh, – we said never want to kind of walk into a parent after an event or after a dinner and they maybe expect more from maybe success or maybe expect more scholarship money. That's okay. But that we didn't care or didn't address something that had to do with the health and welfare of a student athlete, never want to be in that position. So therefore, he had to pay attention to it. You retire as AD in 2018. What went into the decision? Why then? Like, what was your calculus? The calculus at the time, things were beginning to change in college athletics. Certainly, uh, and I was coming into the 50th year. We just had a new president. The next five to eight years at St. Joe's, which we're finishing now, looked like they were going to be among our most exciting and demanding and challenging ever, which on one hand, I said to the president, I'd like to be standing here in the same position in 2026, because we're going to look back from 2026 and say, wow, what an eight-year run that was. But then thinking of, A, my experience, my age, that I have enough in the toolbox to help in this new era to go forward and maximize all the opportunities that were come to play, and I judge no. Somebody's going to be more ready than I am to go five to eight more years in this job, given the landscape the way it was. So it became all of a sudden, maybe in that last year, it became clear to me that uh, you're not ready. Maybe in your mind you'd like to be, but no, somebody's going to be more ready with talent and skill and ingenuity to go forward. How difficult was the last year just from an emotional standpoint, knowing that it was time? Like how hard when you make the decision I mean, you're still very involved with St. Joe's, but that's the end of an era of your life in athletics. You know, what was that? What was that emotional ride like? Yeah, there were it, it hit at different days, different times. If you say the when the Atlantic Ten tournament ended in 2018, you know, guys were saying, "Okay, we won't see you next year." So you have that day, you know, that moment. So there are different benchmarks throughout that year that you'd say this is going to be the last thing. But then by the next day, because what it tried to keep focus on and saying to the staff was we have a lot on our plate this year in 2017-18 that we want to look back on and say it all worked. So let's get back to it, okay? we Let's talk for 15 minutes, but put it aside and let's get back to it. So it didn't let it uh, dominate. And uh, so it was more than that summer kind of adjustment, trying to, you know, phase down and phase out, but uh, turn the switch off. Talked about how the Philadelphia community is unique with basketball. I think you are unique in that you've had such reach in Philadelphia 
sports. And you were also one of the handful of people I can probably count on one hand in my life I've come across who the mention of your name brings a smile universally to people's face or a fun story or I love Don. What does that mean to you to have had that type of impact on St. Joe's? But I think because of your staying power and your success and your personality, it's special. What does that mean to you? Well, I appreciate your comment, and it's hard for me to – I accept it, but I'm not comfortable talking and looking at it like that because I always just believe from the beginning that I was just part of a team and so proud of being able to do a lot and accomplish that, but it's not alone. And if we kind of uh, pay attention to people's needs, show interest – in what they're interested in because you want them to be interested in what you're interested in. So it has to work both ways. Be respectful. You're probably going to be accepted and respected. So if that happened most of the time, then I was blessed and fortunate, and it did happen most of the time. I felt certainly welcome in just about uh, all the settings that I've worked. So really feel blessed and fortunate that that happened. Do you miss athletics a lot, or are you kind of comfortable with when you stepped away and it's just fun now to be a, a St. Joe's fan, or do you kind of miss the day-to-day sometimes? I don't miss the day-to-day because the, the agenda on the day-to-day has changed so much, even in the five, six years now that I've been out of it. So don't miss that. But do miss the action and working with student-athletes and the coaches. So I, I do miss that. Uh, nothing like game day, but in terms of the day-to-day of the administrative responsibilities, is it that does uh, Jill, who does an amazing job along with Dr. McConnell, the president of today, how many do I meet with general counsel, title nine officer, the risk manager, the finance office, or do I meet with a coach and a student athlete? And you only have one hour to decide. So the challenges of Things have become so, I guess, awkward and so big, and the uh, as in a lot of things in life and a lot of organizations, a little more complex. So uh, don't miss those uh, high-level administrative, uh, like the people that I work with doing it, but uh, don't miss all those type meetings, or that be stay in the sports world. I asked you earlier what makes St. Joe special. Is there anything you think that makes it unique? that makes it just a one-off, that there is not another institution like this? There are a couple things, amazingly, that uh, that, that works. Uh, the size of St. Joe, the scope of it, our history, and yet at the same time, when we mentioned Jack Ramsey's name earlier, there's no school in the country, none, that has had seven NBA head coaches, period. How could that happen from St. Joseph's University? Seven former NBA head coaches. So that's amazing to me. We had George Sineski, who was National Player of the Year in 43, who later coached the 1958 Warriors to the NBA championship. He was St. Joe first. Then we had Ramsey, McKinney, Lynham, Westhead, Jim O'Brien. I think I got them Gukas? all. And Matt Gukas. So they're the seven. So I don't know that any school can top that. And on the women's side, there's not another school has five people who coached the St. Joe's in the College Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. We've had Teresa Grentz 
in Reedy, Portland from the Immaculata days. We had Jim Foster, who later went to Vanderbilt and Ohio State. Gina Oriema, we don't have to define who he is. And Muffet McGraw, we don't have to define who she is. So five former coaches that are in the National College. So those two facts that nobody else can boast is pretty interesting and amazing. That has helped make St. Joe unique. Don DeGiulia, this was fantastic. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here, and uh, I appreciate it very much. And that will do it for this week's episode of One-on-One with Matt Leon, sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers. Get a deal you'll like on a Honda you'll love. Want to thank longtime St. Joseph's University Athletic Director Don DeGiulia for coming in studio and being our guest this week. Now, if you like the show, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on X at One on One Pod. You can follow me there as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.